Yeah, thank you for tuning in uh, to Quality Violence Cinema. I have a couple guests. We have... Yeah, um, this is Daniel Valiant from White Gardenia. And uh, I have a segment coming up in the next Symbolicus uh, Volume 3, which I think is kind of the theme of today's show. We, Me and Vivian both have segments in the forthcoming Symbolicus. And actually, I do have a segment in the Symbolicus that just came out, um, Symbolicus Volume 2, um, a film called The Perfume Made from Blood and Tears. Yeah, I'll let, I'll let Vivian introduce herself. Well, I am Vivian K. Contero. I have uh, done work with both Unearthed and A Baroque House. Not so much like film, but I, uh, I have interviewed both uh, Sam and Stephen Byro, mostly with Baroque House. I am a, a producer as very privileged individuals get to do. I get to uh, have Daniel uh, do music for my short with Symbolicus. And also um, I've got uh, two full lengths coming out in 2022. And also I'm re-releasing Blue Androids. Yeah, and I'm very happy to be doing the music for your segment. So I just watched it a few days ago for the first time. I thought it was great. Your film to me came across as very, you know, very, very sophisticated. Like it's, it's a silent film. So I'm inst- instantly, I'm interested in it from that angle because I love silent films. You know, I love, I have a lifelong obsession with silent films, uh, especially yeah. like Broken Blossoms by D.W. Griffith and various kind of films from, from that time period. Your film kind of also reminded me of Meshes of the Afternoon by Maya Darren. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you bet. And that was obviously one of the great seminal avant-garde films of the 40s. And you mentioned in a message about how there was kind of an 80s vibe. So I, I also kind of saw the film in that context, in that context of it, of that kind of 80s culture. That was kind of that hauntological, hypnagogic pop kind of vibe going on. I'm like so, an 80s yeah, David Lynch feel too. I, when he used I, yeah. to do those like weird shorts, not like his films, but his shorts, like his like where you just kind of do like two minute things. I, it did remind me of one he did called um well the thing about the thing about Lynch is that he's um so obsessed with like the 1950s like Lynch is Lynch and John Waters a lot of those guys from that generation were so obsessed with the 50s cuz obviously they grew up in the 50s but yeah I think like diner like that pine coffee type mentality right exactly but I suppose like Vivian is kind of representing I don't think you grew up in the 80s but that still echoes you know the the 80s was like such a flashpoint for culture. For this well, I'm 84, so I mean, I was a kid through most of it, but very much in the <laughs> 90s. <laughs> you remember the, the late 80s? Well, yeah, but I educated myself enough to get the gist of a lot of decades. So, Well, I think that the new generation, in the same way that those guys like Lynch and Kenneth Anger and John Waters were so obsessed with the 50s, I think like a new people are like James Ferraro and Ariel Pink and stuff are so obsessed with the 80s. So yeah, I definitely saw that. Oh, the 50s was was a great time for everything, for culture, music, just a lot of things. Yeah. Cinema. Yeah, I'm still, I'm I'm, I'm obsessed with the 50s too. I mean, I think for different reasons. Yeah, I I probably more relate more to the 50s than the 80s, but. Yeah, uh, I I feel that. But I think, I think also her film to me was um, kind of, like what I would call an ambient film, because which is kind of a genre that people don't talk about. I mean, I love ambient music, but I also love ambient films. There are a million great films that maybe to a less sophisticated audience, they would call it slow paced. But a film can be really slow paced, but still be like, you know, very intense and more intense slasher film with a million cuts. 
Well, and I also think that, you know, the whole purpose behind making a story is the aspect of slowing it down. I, I, I think that you, you can provide a beauty behind what we're trying to convey, but at the same time, when you slow it down, it allows people to be more personalized, if right. that makes sense. I, I think that once you start forcing the violence behind anything, for ch- I don't have violence in my film. I don't. Right, right. That struck I, I me. That, that I noticed that right away. Behind the whole um, fetus aspect of it, it's not so much supposed to be shocking. It's supposed to be more like an indication of something I suffer with. I mean, because I, if you watch the short film, it's purely, like Daniel said, it's it's a um, an indication of something that I deal with. I can never have children. Unfortunately for me, I don't have that, that gift. And what I wanted to do with that piece for um, Sabalicus 3 is that everything I do has something that indicates behind what I do and what's behind who I am. I, I know filmmakers do it all the time, except for Daniel. He chops his finger off. But um, <laughs> That segment with the finger chopping was kind of an ambient segment, though, actually, because, yeah. because it's very slow paced. And it actually, some people would call that, that segment boring, but. Um, oh, oh, geez, that's my favorite. I, I really did not care for, I mean, I liked it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to say I don't, I didn't care for it. It was kind of like it, there was a lot of ambiguous things involved with uh, XXX Dark Web, but I, I didn't. Uh, and I was like, yeah, all right, here we go. <laughs> Vivian, you wanted to ask me a question, right? Yeah, actually, I did. Um, okay. I think that, you know, viewing your work, one, I am definitely a fan, not to uh, panderize to you or anything like that. But um, I do want to say that, you know, watching your span of work and what you have done, what was your approach to Symbolicus 3 in your piece? Well, in uh, my approach in, for that particular film, well, it's, it's a funny question because I don't exactly know. I sent Marcus three different films to choose from. Mm-hmm. Two of them I specifically made for Symbolicus because one of them turned out so long, like almost half an hour long. So I thought yeah. I got to make another shorter one because he, he might not like you know that this is taking up so much space specifically made him two different films and then I even sent him a third older film that I had laying around so Mm -hmm. I gave him three different choices and I don't know which one he's going to use but um which one do I have (laughs) uh, which one one do I don't have (laughs) yeah yeah that's the great question which one do I not have (laughs) do you guys have the one where like uh, Allison's pounding a nail through my hand no i don't think no. i've ever seen that one no yeah I, that I, one is i mean you chopped your fucking finger off come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's all downhill from there it's, oh, is it's it? all anticlimactic after that but um so you sent me this uh you sent me a dvd of something that doesn't have a title on it 
I thought you were saying that it was going to be a symbolic, the symbolic. Right. Story. I think that was then. Was that, and, and that's the one that starts off with the old lady. I'm dressed like the old lady. Uh, uh Honey, I don't know. I mean, you're. <laughs> no secret perfume. <laughs> Is the yeah. secret perfume one? Yeah, that's on one of the, that I specifically, I made that specifically for Symbolicus 3. Um, and also, I'll mention real fast, though, um, I do have one. In, there's also a segment in Symbolicus 2 that um, made by it was directed by Poison yeah. Rouge. And that was I didn't have very much. Input yeah, in that uh, secret. Perfume. Is that when you have to secret perfume of a decay? Right. Yeah. I have that oh, that, that no, yeah. this, is, this is like, yeah. OK, because <laughs> everything it, besides this one, I have tied in pink ribbon. Sorry, I'm not untying oh. all of that. So. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, um, well, but I, this that's not, what I do for my favorites. So I have two. I have multiple films <laughs> that involve the word perfume in them, so it's kind of confusing. Yeah, but right. The, in the current Symbolicus two that's currently out now, uh, there is one that's directed by Poison Rouge, and um, that one and and Miziano also co-directed that, and I, it's really great. I just didn't have very much input into it. I kind of gave them a premise, the idea, and then the song that they used is is a song that I did it's kind of like these guys it's really high budget and like really special effects driven they kind of approached it in a really clever way and poison rouge is always really clever like i'm always surprised when she does something like she kind of notes the subtext of the song and will really approach it in a without me even telling her the subtext she'll kind of use intuition to figure out um what it's about what the song's about and so that that one she approached it almost like it's a fashion model commercial it's like a calvin klein commercial but everyone's cutting themselves up so it's just it was like really brilliant i thought the way they approached it i gave them the premise that you know it'd be about a, an old lady who uses blood and perfume or uses blood and tears to make perfume and and they took that idea and kind of ran with it but I haven't seen Marcus sent me Symbolicus Volume Two, and I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Yes. And oh, stop it! Oh, stop it! <laughs> I just—it's like, it looks amazing. I, mean, I can't wait to watch hours. it. I mean, come on now. I watched one. I thought one was great. I thought I loved me and Allison both watched <laughs> Symbolicus Volume One, and I I thought it was so good. Some of the segments were really really. Um, amazing I thought I no, and, and I completely agree with you I think it was I think it it was like what Christian said it was the divide it, it allowed more of a conceptual perspective to what he was trying to convey I mean we're, we're talking about symbols it, it can be so vague that um, when I watched Symbolicus one it was just it was all blended together I couldn't <laughs> figure out who did what you know yeah um, it, it did kind of segue yeah it was weird it all kind of flowed together i noticed that yeah well it needed to be a symbolic too you know so it's obviously with its name and i think so i can falling some maybe fell away from that of right well, i was gonna ask vivian because the premise of it is that we're assigned a symbol and then we we use that as like the basic premise for the film what what symbol is the um what what is your your segment based around uh actually um so when i went down there to do um behind the scene footage for chum bucket i talked to marcus uh because he wanted to see what i would do you know my work and so what i did is i showed him a lot of my film cyclopean city 
And right. when he saw it, I mean, Marcus immediately, I mean, we're building a set, me and him, just us. And we're, <laughs> we build the death chair for Felicia Fisher. Uh, he's like, do you want to be part of Symbolicus 3? And I would, I mean, I still, I'm still working on the fucking film for like five years now, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Stephen Byro says, stop editing and just release it. So, <laughs> nice. so we're, you know, February is, I mean, uh, Daniel is doing the soundtrack for uh, Cyclopean City, but um, yeah, he didn't give me anything. He said, do what I do. And he wanted abstract. He wanted the um, more artistic approach to things. And so he was like, here, I want you to be part of it. He, and, um, and, yeah, I guess he, he told me to pick my own symbols. No, he he, I no, I just made a fucking film. I'm giving it to yeah. him. <laughs> you know, Let me ask you, Vivian, um, what filmmakers would you say are, are your biggest or like primary influences on, on the films you make? I would have to say that it's not so much filmmakers because, you know, I work as, as both of you know, Christian and Daniel. I mean, I, I, I filmed uh, this piece for Symbolicus with me. Everything I, I do is just me. I, there's no budget. And then I did the same thing with um, Cyclopean City. I, th I think what I'm trying to, to convey is that with what I'm trying to portray to everyone out there is that, I mean, my love is Joel Peter Wicken. I don't know if either one of you know who he is. He is absolutely fantastic artist. His work can be definitely uh, contrived into, you know, something film. And when I, what I do is primarily trying to convey some artisticness behind it and not just scare people. Mm -hmm. um, it's very abstract. I know that. Some people get it. Some people don't. It's okay. I mean, to me, I, I'm not expecting people to like everything I do. All artists ultimately have to make the, their films for themselves because there's no, there's no band, there's no director that's ever been able to make something that pleases everyone. Right. Yeah. Um, and then when you start trying to calculate, well, I never would. I mean, I, the thoughts never even crossed my mind. But, if, but whenever an artist starts trying to calculate, well, how can I make, have this work have a broader appeal? Well, then you'll just end up. Art's very interesting because you, you, it's kind of very much as you pushing all yourself into. And then once it's made, it, it's like you're, it's no longer your identity once you like put it out. It's like, right. it's, like um, it's like you're birthing something and then like you're putting all into it, but then it's no longer yours anymore. And you can't hold on to it like a lot of people do. And like, and like it's like how people perceive it, how, what. Well, you know, people might take it completely wrong, but that's okay. That's their right. They're, it's okay to have that. And like, and I think it's also important to show artists that they can just put out whatever they want to um, and don't feel like they have to fear. Um, I don't have a budget. I don't, I can't do this. No one's going to want to watch this. Like you just need to put it out there and like, and not yeah feel like that's like a, um, a handicap or, or something that just like a dream that you can never achieve. Right. Right. Yeah. The, 
the uh, limitations like that don't even really exist anymore just because digital is, is so accessible. I mean, you can, anyone can now shoot the phones nowadays. Highest. There's some phones that you can just buy that um, basically right. are quality to film on. Like they're actually really good quality. Right. Right. Like, like um, Damon Albarn made an entire album on his iPhone. I mean, every, yeah, and they're legit. legit. They're, they're, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And so actually, I mean, that's why I intentionally revert back to, like VHS and stuff and like low, yeah low and I love I don't get me wrong I love the the feel and the look of film um everything it just has like a better more authentic I mean we still can't match even just in photography like you can't infinitely focus um digitally still you know that's right and that's something that's always been able to do with film you can enlarge that to any size and it's going to fucking look beautiful um yeah. digital can't you still can't do that so it's just like right. <clears throat> it still has its limitations that's true yeah. I also think that you, I mean, no matter what you use, because I mean, the simple fact is, is that I encourage anybody to make a movie. I mean, if somebody comes to me and says, I want to make a movie, I'll fucking make it. Well, all I have is my phone. I don't give a fuck if you don't have an iPhone or not. I mean, anything yeah. that has a video to it, you can, you can make a film. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it doesn't matter what or how it looks. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. Right. I, as a film lover, yeah. I think that sometimes, I mean, if you look at Inland Empire, it's so digitally done. I mean, I think that's one of the films that I've ever seen that I started to question because when I first started watching David Lynch's Inland Empire, it looked like camcorder. It looked like somebody yeah. took a camcorder and then he, they like saturated the shit out of it. <laughs> With, you know, digital layering and editing and whatnot. And that yeah. is, I mean, quintessentially, if you look at it, David Lynch even cut that border for anybody. Yeah, you know, that's in, Inland Empire is literally, I mean, for me, I even indie shit, it still doesn't have that, that just personalization of just a camcorder. It's it's not one of my favorites some lynches, but no, and and that's okay. I mean, I, I it's not my fa one of my favorites either. I mean, I like it. I mm -hmm. I think I I like I appreciate it. the what he was doing or what he was trying to yeah. you know achieve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that you know when when I get down to the whole perspective of things, I I want to shoot things that tell a story. You know, coming back to what Daniel asked me is, I wanted to shoot something that had something without words and you know when i watch um some of daniel's pieces uh and and i i, I do want to ask him this is that what is it that for me i like silent i you know dr caligari you know cabinet of dr caligari right right um what is it for you to shoot well, without? yeah uh well i love i love the the people who created film uh, like dw griffith specifically there's there's a couple there's a handful of films that i've watched i've watched broken blossoms over probably 300 times in my life yeah and, it's a beautiful film and then even going on um, later on in the history of cinema with liege dior and unshined d'angelo by louis buniel and and dolly those are silent films pretty close to silent films those were made right on the cusp of mm -hmm. when they were they were, they were um, transitioning to sound, and then even further with Kenneth Anger, who was basically making I silent love Kenneth Anger, right? And those were kind of like proto music videos, but they were also, 
I mean, he grew up with silent films and so he was mm -hmm. continuing to, to, that was like his model for filmmaking was just have it music based. And, and he was or Jack um, Smith. I don't know if you've heard of him kind of, he, Jack yeah, Smith yeah. Kind of influenced a yeah. lot of people that people and don't really give him recognition. Yeah. Abs, abs, yeah. Jack Smith is obviously, uh, you know, kind of a cornerstone of avant-garde film. The, uh, then I would say that like that new one that I made the secret perfume of decay is really influenced by silent film because it starts off being just an, a film, low, a low budget film. But I, as I was editing it, about halfway through it's i realized it started transitioning into a silent film where i was even putting up title cards explaining all the what was happening and I, I i like that and uh you know and going back into jack smith and like that traveling where he would travel with the show and then do the music live with it and so it never really had a track um ever you know it would always everything, be live. Yeah, yeah. everything was being done at that time mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it, it it wasn't like people are trying to edit things and, you know, trying to make it more digitally profound or anything like that. It was something that was, it was being done with creativity at a limitation. And and I think that's, um, that is a huge approach to what I do with my filming. I, it's, it's a limitation. You know, I'm I'm not going to be a fucking Spielberg. If I am, you know, I already have my Howard Shore, who is Daniel. So <laughs> thank you. Thank Actually, bring bringing into that is an, it is an interesting time in comparison to going into like the 50s and 60s when films were being made, like Jack Smith and and where his um, censorship kind of came from. His flaming creatures um, getting such a ban and such an issue that he was afraid to ever make. A film again like to ever actually complete a project so it was this ever this ever going fear um of not of just being criticized and censored and shut down um but now you know you don't necessarily have that as much over the fear and so there is a lot more if you can get away with shocking and more but as a self-expression type shocking film yeah um it's it's true that there there is that but i don't know i've already i hmm. Because I, I, I've already been investigated by the police once, almost twice, because, <laughs> because of XXX Dark Web. Yeah. And of course, as I've mentioned before, they were like really no. easy to work with. <laughs> but <laughs> wonder why. <laughs> oh, that's, but, I mean, come on, why? <laughs> and, you know, they were really, they were really great to work with and they were totally fair to me. And, but I, I wonder, I think it'd be hard to make like extreme films yeah. if you, I mean, I'm, I'm as I, I'm straight edge. I don't have any skeletons in my closet. I don't have any criminal record. I'd be, I'd be, have a tough time imagining doing this. Yeah. It's probably a good thing you don't. Cause then if you know, then. Right. I, I mean, I think. Record. What do you want me to say? I mean. <laughs> I'm not recording or anything. I promise. I'm in jail. I think it would be hard to make extreme films. Like, yeah, censorship is interesting. It's like you say, like, like a lot of this stuff going on in the fifties and sixties, um, it, they're kind of, it kind of became a societal rule that you don't censor artists. I mean, I think we've gotten to a pretty good place, but I mean, the, the censorship now is more. Well, it depends on where you're coming from though. You know? Yeah. 
um, like Inner Depravity and that whole website and how that got shut down and how he's still in prison for his art, you know. Hmm. I, I guess it, I'm not uh, familiar. Uh, yeah, yeah, look I, up his stuff. Uh, Ram, uh, Ramsey. Um, yeah, he, he did this website called Inner Depravity and it's all just really, really well shot, kind of like pseudo snuff stuff. But everything, and he even proved all this stuff for censorship and morality reasons. The, um, the Canadian... Um, government basically put him in prison for it anyways and he's still serving really? time mm -hmm. wow yeah um i guess you could say that there is yeah there's some instances like that it's amazing how mainstream directors can get away with murder i mean i mean <laughs> there's like things in mainstream films that are like seem like they'd be so unacceptable to me mm -hmm. but i mean if if you yeah it's, it's a fine line but I, I think more or less the censorship now is just more the way it should be, which is the people watching the films decide that something's unacceptable. I mean, not that I'm completely behind the woke movement or anything. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not behind the woke movement. But basically, that's them. That's the people themselves deciding on certain guidelines and enforcing it, you know, from the grassroots instead of saying the government has to censor things. And so it makes more that's more sensible to me that it's just the people saying, you know, we don't think Marilyn Manson is. Not that I haven't, and I not that I have an opinion one way or the other. I don't even know anything about Marilyn Manson. But if the people at, at a grassroots level say we we don't like Marilyn Manson anymore, and well, they don't. Just, He's going through a big scandal, actually. Yeah, exactly. I mean that. Yeah, that's why I, it's funny. It's interesting because it seems like he that was his whole modus operandi <laughs> was that he was doing unacceptable things, and now decades later, people are deciding actually he was doing unacceptable yeah. things and he's not used well i'm interested if he ever comes out with groupie and if that's actually a thing too because that's just like a you know censorship film that he you know supposedly made and of this party you know this girl's tied up in the dungeon and all these people were like hey look uh, i have a girl tied up in the dungeon let's like record it right. um and how funny you know funny the situation is and then as an but extreme party gag i remember <laughs> reading I, mem I remember years ago reading stuff with him about them them kind of bragging about how they had mistreated groupies and how they had like had no for sure party. and like uh andy dick has you know a big thing we're getting interviewed about it and he like, said he saw the film and uh. yeah so it's it's in the old days i guess they they got part of their allure was that they did that they mistreated groupies or that they did things that were they that they were into mutilation yeah. well there's less of an eye on them back then you know because not many people were speaking up against it so it was well, just kind of like they're that, allowed to do whatever the fuck they wanted because they're rock stars you know it's just the part I, of I rock star the, life i don't know i think what happened a part of all this is that like the i i i don't want to veer into politics but um the thing about the trump movement was that basically the judeo-christian people usually are kind of the arbiters of morality and then Trump came along and kind of shattered that because here was a guy who had been in three porno films and who had, um, you know, cheated on his wife, grabs women by the pussy and all this. And so the Christians kind of ceded their normal role as being moral arbiters. And then it was almost kind of like there was an imbalance in society. And it's like the woke kids, like the Generation Z kids and stuff kind of moved in to fulfill that role. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I perceived it, at least. It was almost like they were the ones 
in the old days it would be the Christians speaking against Marilyn Manson, but now it's like the now it's like the progressive kids. So yeah, it's the you know women speaking against movement and you know everything like that, right, which, right. Is, which is good and I think it's healthy because I think especially in the media that they're um, these media giants are just basically these big demons are just getting whatever the fuck they wanted essentially. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It seems like society is kind of like this. It's almost like it's like self-aware and when things go out of balance you know different things different movements rise up to keep it in balance and um yeah well i don't know that that's just the way i perceive it but yeah i still think there's room for extreme film and everything i just think that i can't comment really on marilyn manson because i i don't know enough about him it seems like society maybe looks back on like 20 20 or 30 years or whatever of marilyn manson and just decide that there was not really that they didn't have a use for him whether that's true or not i don't know but um and they'll probably look back on other artists and say in retroactively well some people's history. art is almost like a form of sacrifice and like he kind of was doing that and like but he was a, similar to like alice cooper but more of like an extreme yeah. version of alice cooper where he was like a, a different than what he was actually pursuing or, or representing on stage um, he was actually a totally different person. I love I love some of the people that influenced him. I mean, I know that like he was. I love Anton Lavey, and I know he was really influenced yeah. by that. But I just have never really got. I've never really. I, I don't think I've ever listened to any of his albums. Um, so I'm just not. Yeah, really I stopped caring after Mechanical Animals. To be honest, <laughs> that that yeah, I'm not. I'm just not familiar with his stuff. But um, I don't know. What's your opinion, Vivian? What do you think about Marilyn Manson? I don't know. I <clears throat> I. I mean, I saw him with Clutch back when he did, what was it, the, uh, what was one of it? I, I don't listen to, <laughs> I haven't listened to Marilyn Manson, but. It, it's I like a fun pastime. <laughs> family values or whatever. Uh, Portrait of American like. Family. There you go. Yeah. Um, I saw him when that album was out and uh, with Clutch and it, I, I don't know. I mean. It was good I'm for a, the time, you know. Well, I'm a huge Gigi Allen fan. Oh, yeah. And I love Gigi Allen. And a lot of people, you know, they don't, to each their own. You know, getting into the whole aspect of that. I mean, you know, being a fan of, you know, bloody mess and the scabs and the motherfuckers and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing is what I'm used to. But when we get to, you know, Marilyn Manson, I think it was in the beginning, I think it was his idea i think that later on i think it was a product of you know more money well if anybody anybody that gets signed into they're basically being signed into like an image like i like what you're putting out can you keep pushing that out you know yeah and it's just they they end up just kind of get stuck um even if they want to branch out into just something different no and and that's the thing it's like we we get to the point of um Marilyn Manson and the things that he's been, you know, accused of and, you know, the, the film that's out there with the girl in the room. I mean, come on, is if, if we're going to start attacking every artist, all of us right now are, you know, a criminal. I mean, well, not have, we, no, I mean, not all of us have skeletons in the closet or have really things, uh, you know, hide. I, think. I, mean, really, I mean, come on, nobody gave a fuck back in the day and now that there's there's more to say and people have an outlet because of the internet we have now 
started to enforce something that some of us yeah. agree with and some of us don't. I mean, yeah, I think that's I'm concerned. I you you're gonna you're you, everything is gonna get enforced, and I think right now because of the fact that we have COVID, that gives a lot of artists like me and Daniel and yourself, Christian. I think it gives us an outlet right now. No, I I 100% agree. Like COVID has um, given me a lot of feel of like self um, awareness and self value and being like, yeah, you know, I actually have something that I could put out that isn't just me serving some dish to some rich guy, you know, um, I have more to give. My point, my, my point is, is that it, it comes down to the principle of everything. I mean, come on, none of these girls gave two shits until this Me Too movement. And I'm a yeah, woman, it's, um, and, and I support it, but at the same point in time, I also have to see that... But it's, it, it's it, it also exploits people that don't necessarily kind of always deserve to be exploited. It, it just makes things like people just want attention, so they're going to exploit somebody. You know, so there is a problem of that. It's just like the same with like the legal system of like, I'm going to sue you but there's unlawful suing. There's people that un- just do it because they want money out of you. Um, there's So there's not always like exact, your intentions of why you're causing this ruckus is, is also should be investigated. Well, yeah. absolutely. And I don't disagree with you. I think that it, it comes down to the questionable aspect of is what is art? Mm-hmm. Are, we, are we shooting art? Are we exploiting something that's, that shouldn't be exploited. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, I watched Daniel's piece on, you know, XXX dark web and it's not exploitation. If that makes a sense, you know, if that makes sense, it's, it's, you know, everybody is consensual to everything that's going on. Right. I mean, I, I agree. I think that I'm, I, I, I never obviously would film anything without a consenting party and without right. everyone being, and obviously with XXX Dark Web, everyone involved sign like long, complicated, um, mm-hmm. put the, you know, there's paperwork, uh, endless paperwork involved where people have to sign and say, we were not on drugs, we were not on alcohol, we did this with full consent and knowledge. It's possible that even like everything we're doing by the book in, 40 years or something, people look back and say, this was wrong. You know, what, what this guy was doing was wrong. And, um, and so that, that's something that just comes with the territory. Right. Um, I mean, we have to live in the moment though. You can't think about, you know, well, what are they going to think about this 20 years from now? Like, well, fuck them. I mean, you're, you're not, they're not here. I'm I'm always just trying to think of what's, I I always look at the big picture in in a way. I mean, you're right. You're right. But I'm always like, what's, what are the people going to think in a million years? You know, what, I mean, mean, like what, what is that? What are they going to take from our culture? And like art is so the way we look back at the, the, with the Neanderthals, you know, the cave art and everything in a, in a 7 billion years, they might be looking back on our art like that. Like this is just looking at it like this completely meaningless. Like this is just like, it will, it'll be, art will be so evolved in 7 billion years. Art, art will have progressed so much. They, they won't, they'll look back at our, our stuff as being insignificant. And that's kind of a horrible thought because it makes it hard to, it's hard to work on art when you have that mindset, but um, 
I still think there's something as far as being able to help the human race evolve in a certain way. I think there's things we can contribute. Well, we have a, it's a scary time right now because everything is like digitally archived and, and it's basically right. what we choose to digitally archive. So um, some artists that no one gave a fuck about decided to never put a digital archive. No one now will remember that artist. This, so right. it's just kind of like if you don't put yourself out there digitally, you might never be remembered. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, well, that gets back to... Or if you strictly digitalize yourself, you might just be forgotten because all that just might just go into nothing. Well, that 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 kind of goes back to that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. Um, yeah, it's it's it. I think that there's so much art. There's so much. There's so much. Everyone, like if you talk to anyone, you meet someone by chance and you say you start digging into their personal life. And I almost invariably find that everyone is working on some secret you know, music project or film project or no matter who it is, like everyone's got artistic ambitions, even if they kind of keep it secret. So there's so much out there. Um, I guess it can't all be remembered, but, but yeah, there's a reason people make art and it's usually to process. It's a good way to process. Like Vivian was saying earlier, like this film is helping her process things, problems that she's like, she was saying about not being able to have children. And she's processing that idea through her artwork. You know, that's one reason we have art is to be able to, with me, it's more death, like being obsessed with death and being able to try to make sense of that. And I learn something every time I make a film or any, every time I make music, I learn something <clears throat> new. And so it's, it's almost kind of like a religious or it, it's kind of like a ritual thing. So, yeah, I think even, even if, a person is not recognized for their art, even if they're just doing it for that reason. I think, you know, they're, they're, that's a valid enough reason to, to make art. Maybe I was going to ask Vivian more about that, about what you said earlier, about how played into your film was that you were not able to have children and that was represented in the film. I hate to say that when I watched the film, I didn't pick up on that. Could, could you kind of explain a little bit more about that? The whole purpose behind it is that we all deal with things that we strive to have in our life. And, you know, I've always wanted to be a mom. So when I made the short film, it started out pretty much how I, how I expected it to. Um, I Everything is abstract with me. And it's in my eyes that it tells a story. And it's an apology to anybody that watches my stuff because, you know, I'm not privy to the whole perspective of knowing everybody's outlook in their perspective on what I make, but it's just everything. It's, 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 it's something that I'm trying to convey without being so ugly. And at the same point in time, I'm trying to portray it through the perspective of an artistic eye, if that makes sense. I, I really, I really, <laughs> I know I did. I don't think I even answered it, but um, <laughs> I, I really don't know how to, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's, you know, I lay things out as they come to me yeah. and then I watch it and I watch it and I watch it and I watch it and it, it can be an hour. It can be two hours. It can be, you know, six minutes, but I will watch it continuously <laughs> And I will delete and remove and add. And this piece just came so much together. 
I think that once somebody watches it, I mean, the birth of any of us is an egg, right? We have an empty plate and you have coitus and then the empty plate with the embryo and the semen, you know, you have birth. So if you watch it, you have this empty room and then you have an empty plate. And as it progressively gets to a point of birth, that's what you have. It's it's the ending product. The ending is actually far beyond the point of the ending of the, the short piece, if that makes sense. You know, you get to that point where the plate is with blood and you have the embryo or the baby sitting there on the plate. It that's the ending product. It is that is the ending of the film. Everything else is the after effect. It's saying that I cannot have children. I will never have a baby. And if you watch it, that's the whole premise behind it. You know, that's what people, you know, we're so, we're so accustomed to that. (laughs) Oh, it's the ending credits. What I made with that, that short piece is you get everything so abruptly. The ending is the baby on the plate with the blood and everything after it is somebody dealing with the after effects. Interesting. Do you think that, do you feel that the artistic process is a kind of, or is related to obsessive compulsive disorder? Because I feel that it is with, um, with myself to an extent, it kind of is. Me, it's like an obsessive desire to organize, like not just <laughs> like music or film or music or, um, or paintings. It's an obsessive desire to organize, and it, it just seems I can like see a, that. I, I've done yeah. that in like in a way because I collage a lot of things, and I'm kind of just in my mind always categorizing collage everything. I just kind of feel like it's been in general nature, even just like collaging of people, and just with my interviews, and just uh, collaging of just um, people that support um, this type of cinema. It's just like everything has kind of always just been just this embodiment of that of like being an art creator uh, as being its own art form. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think, I think it is this um, it's kind of an extension of that same OCD feeling where you're like organizing your, your clothes or whatever. I think our, our being an artist is like an extreme version of that. And it probably is good in a way because you can organize and like process through different things, different process like if you're doing something about death making a film about death you're like organizing and like making it easier to deal with these concepts by trying to you're trying to portray yeah at least you're you're creating the impression that you're organ you know making sense of death but it can probably also get too overly obsessive i think it can easily yeah a person can can get too analytical well for sure and, and like for instance like in your film and your short um like anybody can watch it and take a different interpretation and i feel like that's okay because like yourself and what you're trying to uh portray is is you know is is obviously powerful and instant itself and if you see that then you you know it makes for a more powerful statement but it also can be something entirely different that is powerful for them and you don't want to take that away from the person. Um, and, you know, I feel like Sally uh, Dorley in his films, like never wanted to actually be interpreted. I just wanted to be kind of like a dream of where it's like right. free and it doesn't have form almost, you know, cause it's, it's left to um, the viewer. Right. Right. 
Oh, and that re that reminds me. There was something I wanted to get back to you about, uh, Christian, because you had sent me like a great, an interesting question once, and it was kind of a question that it it was um, back when we I was doing that interview with Allison, and you asked me if the segment in XX Dark Web was symbolic of Joseph and Mary and Jesus and mm -hmm. Jesus's birth in Bethlehem, mm -hmm. and. And I was like really perplexed when I read that. And so I wanted to ask you about that interpretation <laughs> because it was it you or Ian, someone sent me that. And um, the, or the, the um, me and Allison represented Joseph and Mary. Yeah. I think that was the whole thing. And like the finger being the major manger and then like the, the, the finger was kind of like the birth and, and like basically the Jesus. And that's kind of why you heard maybe the Christmas, the Christmas was actually more of their religious sounds of that's, <laughs> that's an interesting example of how people can watch a scene. Everyone can interpret it differently, but yeah. I mean, that's a valid, that's a really interesting thing because there was Especially they're being covered in blood and the symbolic of that. And then, um, right. so yeah, I could see that totally as being like a birthing scene of the finger. <laughs> Well, that was that. That's like very back around. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. You know, I said it comes back around to art. You yeah. know. Mm -hmm. You know, the artistic endeavor is is what the artist tries to perceive or portray within his work. It's not. It's not our job as an artist to force people to see what they see. No, it's that simple. You know, art is into the yeah, art of beholder, and it's it's art true. Is an interpretation to the person that's viewing it, and yeah. you know, and even I, your own, even the artist's own interpretation, you can at some point realize that that even your interpretation is yeah my art my, i've had that before really? even just my own tattoo work like that i've had for tattoos so like i get a tattoo and then all of a sudden it's like it has way more meaning the more life i have and the more that then all of a right. sudden that tattoo has like 30 meanings when it used to just have like a couple that i originally got it for you know art yeah. just builds and grows and just like anything you can be working on something first for one reason and then suddenly you realize the subtext yeah, and, and then, that happens for films, I'm sure, you know, when you make a film yeah, in the you 90s, can, you, you look at it differently when you're, you know, 20 years later. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's always, like, different underlying things, sub subtexts that you weren't aware of will all of a sudden come to the surface. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's exactly true of that XXX Dark Web segment, when all of a sudden I realized that it was about Christmas. I, I didn't notice the thing about Joseph and Mary, but yeah. I... I saw, I saw when I was filming it, there was this vision of Santa Claus and, and I put that in the film too. Like I edited in this scene with father Christmas, like coming to the surface. And you know, the, the way, the way I perceived it was almost like you were not so much like, I, I, I didn't see it so much as how Christian seen it, but or saw it, but um, it was, for me, it was more like you were almost doing what was it, a Van Gogh. You know, you didn't chop the ear off, but you chopped your finger off. You know, yeah, it was I can see that. A, a, kind of like a, a, an offering of pure love mm -hmm. and was the the aspect of the the unbridled or unboundaried. Um, no, it's definitely a sacrifice to the art for sure. It's... Um, you know, I, I think it was. I would not chop my finger off, bless your heart. But, 
Well, everyone should try it once. No, I will not. I have. You have ten attempts to get it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, you were talking about how you make it with your own limitations. You know, you can make a film even by you know just working with what what you've got. And, yeah. And with that film, that XXX Dark Web segment only cost forty six dollars. Because, you know, we just got everything at the dollar store, everything that's used in the film. And, and your premiere. <laughs> right, and that was free. That, <laughs> that and didn't cost anything. <laughs> I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. At first, I was like, oh, okay. He you know, it was, I totally was with the whole prosthetic thing and, you know, and all that. And uh, I know that you have affiliation with, you know, James Bell and stuff like that. So when I saw it, it did not, it, it didn't even register to me. It's when the whole uh, behind the scenes thing, you know, that featurette. And you're like, yeah, I chopped my pinky off. I was like, oh. Actually, I, I like, don't, I don't know anything about special effects. I actually, I actually don't know James Bell, to be honest. So um, I have to ask, do you, do you look, does there are moments when you look down your hand and just be like, what the fuck did I do? Or does it, does it? <laughs> No, because my every everything about me is so like I I'm just like always that's that's like the very that's the least strange thing I did that day. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was the least. That was that was probably uh, out of all the all the painful things that happened to me that day. That was like the hmm. not even in the top ten. Are you missing so, any other parts that we should talk about? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. You know, I, I want to point out something that, you know, a lot of people, uh, especially within the scene, you know, I, I'm very close to Stephen Byro, and uh, a lot of people don't know this, and I'll put it out there, is it wasn't so unusual that, you know, Daniel cut his finger off. Yeah. Um, none of it was unusual to me because – you know, a lot of people don't know is like, I am a survivor of suicide and I'm a survivor of, you know, self-mutilation. I mean, I have, yeah. my whole entire body is a roadmap. And I say right. that with nothing but sadness because I'm a dark complected gal. No, for sure. And, and I, 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 that's why I didn't mind interviewing Daniel because I've been there too. You know, I, I definitely, I have tattoos based on not cutting myself and, you know, stuff. It's like, I've been there. So it's just like, so I didn't see it as like, oh my God, why? You know, it's like, I get it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I, I, I wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm calling the cops. Yeah. You know, you know, a safety right. check. It wasn't like that. It was, it was just, you know, to me, it's, it's art. And it's a sacrifice to art, you know, it's, uh -huh. it's the moment, it's what it, what it needs. Uh -huh. um, and it, it, it really ultimately comes back to where your heart is at when you are making these, uh -huh. these pieces that you're making. Um, yeah. And if you're not willing to put yourself really into it, then like, why yeah. bother? You know absolutely i mean I, it's, yeah i mean i think that that's an example of how you don't know the reason like there's you just get an intuition that that this is what the film needs to be and it it's just kind of like comes in a in kind of like a dreamlike way you're like these are the different things that should happen in the film and right. and then absolutely. when it's happening you know the underlying reason starts coming to the surface and in that case it was and and everyone can interpret it 
a different way. And in that particular case, the reason came to me as it was happening was that suddenly it took on this, that it was an analogy for Christmas and um, that it was, and what, what it happened was the colors on the plate, the green and the red and the, the red from the blood and the white cutting board all came together. And it's suddenly, I, it seemed like I saw this hologram of, or not a hologram, like a vision of Father Christmas. And so what my friend Erica, or this, the, the artist Erica Fravel, she told me that Santa Claus, of course, is kind of, is kind of a Christianized version of Odin, that Odin was like, you know, obviously he's the Norse god, and, and that through the years that kind of evolved into the idea of Santa Claus, kind of, kind of a, um, the idea of the Saint Nicholas and then that St. Nicholas was kind of combined with Odin yeah. to make it more palatable to make it more acceptable. Oh, it's funny because like, you know, Santa's been more as played as a, like not a positive light in a lot of other cultures. You know, There's more of like, put the porridge in the front door or we'll, the, he'll eat your kids you know, type mentality right. in a lot of other cultures. So it's kind of funny. Well, and, and the thing is, is that we are celebrating something that derives from... Uh, a uh, celebration of Saturnalia. It's not right. Christmas. It you know, and and that's the thing. It's the, the it's a perspective <laughs> of what people want to mm-hmm. you know celebrate and how they want to do it and the tradition they want to you know go forth with it. But yeah. Christmas is, is it derives from Saturnalia. Yeah, and, and, and people don't realize that. And no. uh, it's kind of a. I don't it celebrate. Like it's kind of a mashup of many different you know christian traditions and pagan traditions and yeah um, and you can actually blame coca-cola and its advertisement for fucking all of that up <laughs> the, what, what really um really they invented what the santa we know now you know yeah more or less <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the visual, the visual component. I don't want no white dude coming down my chimney, goddammit. No, yeah. I'm waiting with a shotgun. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but what um what Erica told me that really blew me away was that she said that they used to do blood sacrifices for Odin. They used to do like blood rituals. And and so she was speculating that this that, that could have been like summoning. She's an occultist. But she was speculating that could have like unwittingly summoned Odin, even though it wasn't meant as a ritual. I'm not into the occult at all. But she she said, you know, maybe, you know, even in his more Christianized, kinder and gentler form as Santa Claus, somehow you can summon Santa Claus with through a blood ritual. Yeah. Um, I but mean, you know, I was losing a lot Santa of blood. Being... I might have just been <laughs> I always have the interpretation of Santa basically being Satan, you know, it's like kind of like a a way of taking away from the true meaning of Christmas and like luring him away. And even just the spelling of it is pretty close. (laughs) That's like the uh, dyslexic devil worshiper. Yeah, exactly. Hail Satan. I mean, it's sort of like Santa. But um, that's, I'm, I'm a pretty skeptical person, but her theory kind of blew me away because it didn't it at the moment it didn't make sense to me why santa claus was suddenly coming into the you know suddenly making himself known um when she related to me that that bit of history i thought it was really interesting mm-hmm. but your theory is interesting too about joseph and mary i had never thought of that yeah i mean, it's just kind of like this is like a virgin birth because there was no you know it's like you're giving um 
like birthing this thing to existence and treating it in like a, I don't know. Uh, I just, but there's, I mean, I think there's different ways of interpreting it and that's just kind of like, yeah. I like to see things differently and not just in just one light and like see it in multiple angles. I like that theory. Um, I was going to ask about um, Vivian's, you, your, the longer film that you're working on, the, the aside from the, uh, the short, um, the other one that I'm going to be doing the soundtrack for. Yeah, so yeah, if you're allowed to talk about that, maybe it's top secret. No, I, I can I can talk about anything. Um, <laughs> no, Cyclopean City is pretty much just all abstract. It's giving a person the opportunity to perceive what they want to see. The whole premise behind it is love. There, the city is basically overran with a disease. Um, now, mind you, I have a graphic novel that I've worked on for close to 10 years called The Story of O. So I was been working on a book, you know, and things like that. Being a, a published writer, I have the opportunity to take my time, I guess. I don't get paid any money to do it, but Cyclopean City is basically just, you know, disease and people are immune and people aren't. And you have two individuals that one is immune and one isn't. The body starts to, it's, it's like, um, it's a Cronenberg-esque kind of approach to things. And I think it, it tells the story of something that I really hope to have one day. You know, my my work is not based on brutality or, you know, trying to shock somebody or anything like that. My work is so embridled within how I shoot my films. I think that what I'm trying to convey with my work is you can have darkness, but within that darkness, there can be so much love. There can be so much heart behind it. And I think that's what I'm trying to uh, put out there. You're doing the music. So <laughs> yes. I, I really yes. hope that you like it. Um, yeah. It's really yeah. it's very trippy. It's very Cosmotropia-esque, but it's more on the abstract side of the Cosmotropia films. Um, it's very colorful, but at the same time, the palette is very red. Yeah, that sounds intriguing. Would you describe this as being, I mean, that was my description for your short film as kind of an ambient film. Would you say that this, this long form film is kind of along the same lines or? I think, I think the um, Cyclopean city is more of a, you know, as I know you are, and as I am, I'm not sure if Christian is familiar with, you know, the power electronics or the noise core. Right scene um i think it it has ambient elements but i think that it's heavier on the side of noise i I love noise by the way just so but i have more of probably like a (laughs) yeah i i mean but noise is all over the place just depends on where you're at because i I love like bastard noise back into like the power violence days and getting into or, or kid 606 and the really kind of fucked up stuff he gets into yeah. Well, I, I mean, I have I have stuff from the analog of Murs Bow, mm, so yeah. it's, you know we're we we all are you know fans of that. So that's 
it, it that's the approach to uh, Cyclopean City. I, I think that um, as you are doing the music for my piece for Symbolicus Three, um, I I really I, I'm trying to balance it to a point where it's giving an individual the freedom to make music on what they perceive, if that makes sense. You know, I I'm like, hey. I want eight. I want this. Um, that's it. Yeah. And right. I, I want freedom. To it. Yeah. No, I need to get back to self-producing my own music. I got, I started doing it a little bit, but um, I fell away. I have like a CD worth of stuff, stuff probably that I can master, but that's about it. I ran my own label for almost ten years, producing and releasing experimental music. You know, I I worked with. Each row, who is um, dissecting table. Um, mm, right. I've worked with, you know, Ultra Milkmaids. I have released multiple um, artists before I, I mean, it was, I mean, I started my label back in 2000. That was when, you know, shipping wasn't so expensive and things like that. You know, I worked with a lot of artists and I'll tell you something, I am, Hands down, I, I'll sound like biased or anything, but I, I really enjoy it. most of everything that Mersbo has released. I am I'm behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Mersbo. Mersbo Masana. Yeah, noise is really like interesting because it's uh, got a timeless quality. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, some of it, like White House and stuff, sounds modern. You know, it's just because anything that has got beats, even if if it's like a a rhythmic like White House, but. But still, like straight up noise, like Mersbo Masana is is like yeah. timeless in a weird way, and it connects all back to the Italian futurists because you had like those guys, like Luigi Rosalo and stuff, doing noise back then. And um, well, a lot of people even think that Einster's and Neubauten is noise, and it's not early it stuff. Is. I would say some of the stuff from there, they they branch, but it still it it still has a rhythmic approach yeah it. no true that but there's there's elements of noise i think they use but yeah i i get your your argument on that but i love them by the way i actually have a tattoo I, of them I, right? I, <laughs> I know no i i i am yeah. absolutely a big fan of you know einster's and new and that's why i brought it up it was like it's it's a perspective because i mean we we get to a point where oh my goodness gracious how much how much more can you do with noise mm-hmm. and it's it's limitless if you really think about yeah, 100%, it. Yeah, hundred percent. Because I I still love just more being friends with people that were making noise music, and I just remember going to the shows, and uh, one of the guys is asking, "Is like, um, so is this contact mic? Is it waterproof?" Of like, yeah, sure, I guess. And the, and then during the show, they just put it down their throat, and they're recording the fact of them gagging on the contact mic as like part of the show. I'm like, fuck yeah, dude, that's yeah, yeah. awesome. <laughs> it's like that's, that's a, a show, idea. you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's there. There, there is. It's like endless. Um, a lot of a lot of the early Mersbo stuff, where it's almost more collage than noise, is really intriguing. But I love all his stuff. I love his newer stuff. The, yeah. the like the bird obsession is interesting, and and he was. So I, have, so- I have a question. I actually have a question for Daniel. Is it you know watching your catalog and seeing, you know, your span of work. I mean, really and truly, what is, first off, what's your approach? And secondly, what is it that makes you 
you know, stand more uh, DIY. I mean, we, you know, we have, you know, Sam doing his Baroque house stuff and, and all that. But at the same point in time, I discredit that. But at the same point in time, I feel a lot more heart behind how you put things out and how your films are laid out. What is your approach to that? Oh, thanks a lot. Um, I think that, well, I, I mean, again, going back to what you guys were saying earlier about like, what is the meaning of art and everything? Um, I think if you're obsessed with something, then it'll be interesting. If, if, if even not for, if for no one else, it'll at least be interesting for you. And you can, you can learn things from, from making even like the kind of stuff I do. I mean, to me, I'm, I'm again, I'm trying to process ideas mostly I'm obsessed with like death and pain are the two things that are the most interesting to me. I think it's basically the white gardenia is like a, a Gothic. It's basically, I'm, I'm still a, a goth on some level and mm -hmm. the way that goths that that's, you know, generally you have goth teenage girls cutting <laughs> themselves and there's goths have this fear of death. And for some reason that that's the way they choose to deal with it is by cutting themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's not exactly clear why that is, although I have some theories about why that is, but there's, um, but I'm still, that's basically, I'm still on that wavelength, like, like I'm trying to process, uh, me and Allison are both obsessed with death, but she, she likes death. And I, I'm totally opposed to the concept of death. So we're kind of like polar opposites. Why are you opposed to death? Well, uh, I think that death, everything that we do, all the art we make, all the like um, relationships we create and everything is completely, you know, no matter what we do or accomplish in our lives, it's, it's erased by death. And so I wouldn't say necessarily because a lot of people, their value of their art is, is when they die. You know, a lot of their value is right, that because even. that's a way you can ostensibly live Christian's on. right. <laughs> And and the yeah, other and, and what Salvador Dali until he died and yeah red right. shoes. Well, Dolly Dolly was completely obsessed with trying to figure out a way to escape death. Dolly was went to great and you know borderline psychotic lengths to escape death. Mm -hmm. um, he he stopped drinking water towards the end of his life because he thought he could. There were certain insects that could hibernate they would dehydrate themselves and hibernate. <laughs> and so he thought he could escape death by, do, by doing the same thing. He was like watching very carefully these insects and throughout his whole career, he's constantly talking about the specter of death haunting him. So I, I think that, you know, that that's the, yeah, it's true that you can live on ostensibly through your art, but it's not really you. I mean, it's not, it's not you to, to any level that is satisfactory to me. And, um, and also, like you were saying, with, with wanting to have children, that's another way that people try to escape death. And so with, that's, I was, that's built into humanity is this idea that if you have kids, you'll live on through your children. And that's also not satisfactory to me because I just think it's not, you know, you, you're not really living on. Your DNA is living on. But um, so when you're talking about your theory of like collecting your memories um, right. and then basically doing a whole virtual version of yourself. Um, right. Do you feel that you are starting to write down memories so you don't forget them? 
Well, that's interesting. It, it's it's too it's it's way. I mean, that's not a bad idea. I, it's not a bad idea, but it's probably way that's way more no complex. <laughs> like, should I? I was like, I mean, that's like, part of what I would write down everything. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, and that's Thanks, part of Christian. What art is. <laughs> and, and to a great degree, that's what it is: is documenting your your viewpoints and your your worldview. And but of yeah. course, it's way too complex for that, and that's why in a in a simulation in a in a simulation where you bring everyone back from the dead you have to run through every possible oh i'm sure there's neural there's neural cataloging that you if you're just not tapped into but there's basically like traces of it it's kind of like networking any kind of um, computer you can it embraces right. some kind of embedding into something that is there but we just can't necessarily like access it Right. It's, it's, you, you'd run a, you, you get an AI. As soon as you get the first human uploaded to a computer, then it, all you do is just spin that in every possible way. And then you'd have every person who could ever have lived. And then you run through every possible series of memories, at least every possible series that's at least closely related to the initial timeline. It would be interesting um, to have AIs dedicated to certain topics. Like if you get an AI that just, you just pack full of information about art and then see what they interpret to what art is, you know? Yeah. Well, art is such a, like, I mean, it's kind of like what I was saying in our last discussion. The our art is a, just completely built on flaws and paradoxes and mistakes. Just well, like art is imper point. imperfect. Everything about it. You can't yeah. make perfect art. Yeah. It's, it's right. 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 That's what Dolly said. He said, don't ever fear perfection. You'll never achieve it. Yeah. And, um, and so that's a good thing to remember for people who are kind of obsessive compulsive like myself, but, um, and I, I love mistakes. I love purposely making mistakes. Yeah. And some of the best art comes from mistakes. One of the reasons I like the self-emulation films is I like forcing myself into a situation where I can't do multiple takes, where it has to be one take. Oh, well, especially with the finger, it. yeah. Right, right. There was no way. <laughs> yeah. There was no way to do to call cut. And I try to make all my films that way because it makes it it's more intense and interesting for for like yeah. me and Allison or whoever's in the scene with me. And we really have to be, I mean, there's a level of intensity and like you get, you know that you can't yell cut halfway through, <clears> like <throat> once you've, once you've started chopping. Well, it feels more, it feels more raw when you don't have it um, cut up and chopped up and edited and it makes it right. feel like you're actually just watching somebody just there, almost like a nice pseudo snuff how to feel, but. Yeah. And I, cause I, I, I don't like, over, I, I overanalyze everything. And so if I force myself into that situation, I can, um, it's just better, better to, otherwise I'd do a thousand takes. Well, and um, see, that's the thing with, with my short is everything is one take. It, interesting. By the way, um, I'm, you guys are welcome to talk. I'm going to get grab coffee really quick and I'll be right back. Are you welcome to talk and sure. Sure. Okay. Um, um, yeah. It, it, everything was one take. It was, you know, I had it in my my mind. This is how it's supposed to look. Um, you know, running a one person crew. <laughs> um, right. it, as you would know, it's it's not very easy. So it's no. you know, I, I have to film. Uh, I have to start film, walk around, prepare everything. You know, and I'm wasting a lot of time. But at the same point in time, the ending product is 
way worth it. You know, it's. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't realize it was one take. One. Everything. Done. That's interesting. Yeah, everything is one take. It's. Um, that's primarily. No, I like that about film. It's harder to. I actually now I'll give it might be a good time to talk to you about the music for a second. I've actually brought in my uh, Nathaniel, who I collaborate with all the time. Who uh -huh. Basically, he's basically a member of White Gardenia, although he might not um, want to be known as a member of White Gardenia. <laughs> but he's um, like when I've played live in the past, he's he's up there with me. Mm -hmm. And he, um, so I brought him onto the film. He loved it, by the way. I showed him the film, and he loved oh, it. Oh, that's very sweet. Tell him thank and, you. Yeah, and he he's the guy, and he's going to be doing most of the heavy lifting on it. But then okay. um, I don't quite know what our process is going to be. But he's going to be doing most of it, and um, then I'm going to come back over and maybe add the more noise elements, add oh, some awesome. possibly some noise elements, and so we're we're just gonna. Um, you know, slowly work on it, but um, so far so good. I think I think we've got. We what program do we use for music? Yeah, I just bounce around. I use this like Acoustica iMix generally. Um, <laughs> lately, I've just been doing it on Adobe Premiere, though. I just get the image on there and then um, do some. I record directly onto film onto like a digital video with the music, mm -hmm. and then mess around on the timeline you know throw it right onto the timeline yeah no it's it's always funny when you just whatever you find make music sometimes like i used to get really weird and int interesting i had this like ej club world thing i used to use on the ps2 that was to make stuff but i'd yeah. use other stuff too and incorporate with it um I don't know, it just i got really inventive when i was younger with the <laughs> making analog style but not analog you know yeah I, I love the wobble i love like the fluctuating time um like i don't like a totally locked in like um as far as music being in time i like when it fluctuates like when mm -hmm. it's like shifting around yeah i like um, to kind of almost like let thing i used to just let kind of things create itself i would kind of create a chaos so i'd have like something that had four different inputs into it and kind of just let it all feed into each other and then torque it and still they kind of or put an echo on it so that it would follow a rhythmic pattern based on the echo yeah. of it and then so you basically have a pattern based on you know the frequency of the echo um and it yeah. creates beats you know in a way so i used to just fucking let it do it whatever and then record and then see what happened yeah you, you should post some of your music online yeah, I know. I, I my tape analog stuff I lost. I made this future dream tape. I have no idea where the fuck that. So all that, a lot of that stuff's lost. But I have a, a lot of newer stuff I use with a virtual DJ. It's basically just like this. Has four different, or you can do six decks or whatever, and you can analog, and so you can just do everything live. And so I just do um, use it more for just layering my own stuff and doing quick samples, and uh, it's fun. <clears throat> but yeah, I'll send you some stuff. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. That sounds that sounds interesting. Sounds like my cup of tea. Yeah, I'll send you the program. It's free, or just the the link to it. It's um, it's a pretty cool program. Um, you just can't record off of it, um, but then but you can just do use something else to record. So it's fine. You know, just basically loop it out, auto out, so something else. Interesting. Yeah, that that sounds like could be useful. Definitely. But um, 
I suppose one thing I should mention, I was going to try to fit this in at some point because today um, Gordrome is releasing a, um, a, a new White Gardenia Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, I got it wrong. I guess the label itself is called Black Mafia. Hmm. And um, so it's released off Black Mafia, but you can get it by going to the Gordrome website. Yeah, and, I, was, um, I was going through it. It's cool that they have it finally up. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to I, I want to try to get a copy for myself, at least one copy, because um, um, a couple of my people on Facebook said they ordered it already. I don't even know if it's a super limited edition or if it's a uh, I don't I, I don't know any of the details, really, except I know it's got at least 37 films on it and it's it's over three hours of content. I don't know about like the bonus features or not, because early on they, they were there was like. I think there was some speculation there would be bonus features. I can't remember. And um, so I don't know exactly what the final product looks like. But but yeah, if anyone's interested, that's a fairly definitive collection of White Gardenia films. And um, that's got cool artwork by uh, Demiziano, did the artwork on it, actually. And what else? It looked... It, uh, it's got stuff on there that is not, I think, is not available anywhere else. Does it have any of the exotic work? Exotic, like the commissioned. Like, yeah, it, it has stuff. like there's there's four <laughs> different sections on it. Um, there's a section called blood and perfume, and then there's a section called church and state, and there's a section called twelve mm nanotech artificial blood, and those three sections. <laughs> <laughs> Those, those are all three sections are all the self-mutilation ones. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth section is more like pornography. Okay. I just was curious because I know some of those you, you don't even weren't even interested in talking about. So Yeah, there's there's like a complete version of one of the, our porno clips that's not I think it's not available anywhere else. Yeah. And, okay. Um and so it's fairly <clears throat> it's fairly definitive. At least it has some stuff that yeah, uh, it's not definitive. It's definitely not totally definitive, but it has stuff on there that you can't find anywhere else. Okay, is the sandwich scene in there? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, that that's in there, like the complete stuff. Uh, okay, I don't think I want to see this. <laughs> <laughs> no, n- no one, no one wants to see it. No, yeah, I've seen it, but <laughs> unfortunately, I would probably have. Uh, I'll have to buy it so that I can keep oh. the catalog up. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's, it's yeah. I guess Black Mafia is um, there's two two new labels, uh, Dark Star and Black Mafia. I guess that are closely related. And um, Black Mafia is more for like extreme or transgressive, or I I, um, I don't know what you classify it, but like extreme horror. And um, so that that's what this is. And I was mistaken. I've been telling people the name of the label was Gordrum, and I'm I'm that's not it. Uh, that's I guess just the your name fault. Of they need to tell you that then. <laughs> they they might have told me that. I might have just been um I might have been zoning out, but they Gordrum is the name of the website apparently, and then uh Black Mafia is the name of the of the film label. But yeah, definitely checking out the it's worth it for the artwork alone. I they sent me some previews of the artwork and it looks unbelievable. And so- so is it a side thing from Tetro or is it I, just I, it's I, primarily I, I, Tetro? I mean, it seems like a lot of Tetro stuff. Some of the, a lot of the 
at least some of the people from Tetra are involved with this, but I don't know the details of it. They they contacted me and said we'd like to do a white gardenia collection, and um, they they gave me a lot of latitude as far as what films could be included. I sent them a bunch of films, and they kind of rejected a few of them, and then kept 30, 30 at least thirty seven of the ones I sent them are going to be included. Well, that's pretty impressive. I mean, I'm curious on what they denied. Um. Well, it was kind of more for. Just uh, time-wise, like for how long, then length? Yeah, it might have been more uh, time constraints, or they also didn't want to include some of the segments that were... They didn't include the dark web segment. Oh, maybe because it's already been done? Yeah, maybe they just thought it was too already accessible. They they wanted more of the stuff that was... Not, that yeah. hadn't been That previously had not been collected. Right. Because uh, then yeah, they feel like maybe they wouldn't get dark web then. Uh, maybe, yeah, th- that could be. But I think there is some like there's one of the segments has different uh, a different angle, a different camera from the XXX dark web segment from the finger chopping scene. Mm-hmm. There's actually a um, a shot from like an infrared camera we were using. Oh, there's and, a second camera. I didn't... Yeah, there was a second camera, and so yeah, that's yeah. included in this Blu-ray. Oh no, <clears throat> I want to see that actually. It's it's actually not as good of an angle, which is oh, why okay. I didn't use it. But oh. it's but it's it's interesting in its own respect. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, there's definitely stuff on there that I don't think that no one else has, or that no one except for me has. I think mm-hmm. I can't. It's hard to. There's stuff even I don't have. <laughs> I, I think there's stuff. Even, I think yeah, I'm sure there's stuff that even you don't have. Um, no, I mean, I'm already meeting from your point of view, like this. <laughs> <laughs> right, even, yeah, there is there's stuff even, there's stuff on there that they film secretly that I don't know. <laughs> like you sleeping or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's definitely going to be some lawsuits. <laughs> but, but no, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm going to try to order a copy myself. They, I didn't get any comps of this particular disc. It's a totally different process. Like, Usually, like with Tetro, it was like you would prepare a segment for him and it would be a year and a half until it ever saw the light of day. This is totally different because they asked me for some content and immediately they turned. I was, I was, I was thought this was going to be like 2023 or something. But um, so it's a totally different process than with Tetro. Hmm. And then, of course, how to how to raise women from the dead is available from a broke house. Um, and Sam's been doing some, had, has some technical problems with that, ongoing technical problems. Mm-hmm. And he's hopefully he's, I think last I talked to him, he's got it figured out. And it's actually going to be a better deal for the people who ordered it because he's got, he's going to have two discs instead of one. So are you going to take down the website stuff since the, everything's starting to be more readily available on physical? Or are you going to just kind of keep the website going? Um, I think I'll keep it going because, um, you know, like I say, that only has like maybe eight or nine clips, as I recall. Mm-hmm. And there's at least, you know, there's upward of 50 different clips available now with this with this new disc, which is called Mutilation Theater, by the way. The mm-hmm. name of this new Blu-ray from from Gordrum is called Mutilation Theater. And so there's 30, at least 37 clips on there. Um, and there's, you know... XXX Dark Web, there's stuff there that you can't see online. Mm-hmm. Borgor, that's like <clears throat> you can't be seen online. Um, 
and a lot of the stuff with Sam Hill can't be seen online. So, so yeah, I think I'll keep some of those, you know, the, the, what I have on the website, I'll keep it there for now. I did take some of the stuff off of film freeway just because, um, yeah, I didn't want it to, I wanted it to be available to, um, or I wanted there to be a reason for people to buy the releases. Mm -hmm. So I did take a few clips down. But it's, you know, um, I think that everything, I like it to be as accessible as possible. I'd like people to, even if they don't have much, even if they don't have money to buy DVDs or to um, fork out a lot of money for something like that, I'd still like them to be able to at least see, you know, the clips um i even told the guy my friend who runs the website i asked him to make them downloadable because i would like people to you know have access to them because i always get this scared i, I always have this like a um, paranoid feeling that it's all going to be you know whoever um as soon as it gets seen by someone who runs google or or some some higher up um, is going to demand that I'll be taken down. So I, I'm always like feeling I'm just on the verge of being canceled. Yeah, well, so, you, you said before you you had a hard time even getting any website to agree to put it out in the first place. It was there's there's a lot of websites. It was the porn sites that were the best to work with, and so that's when I started leaning more into the pornography. Because well, yeah, because they don't care anything about censorship. Obviously, they're like right. They, it's so different. You can get away with anything as long as it's tangentially related to porn i mean like they you see clips where they're still using the n-word and and like doing things that would not be acceptable anywhere else on the internet right and it, so, so it, it, it but i have problems with like vimeo vimeo was like the worst website for some reason everyone kept telling me to go on vimeo and that was the one that was <laughs> completely impossible to deal with them yeah, uh, YouTube it's, was much better. They kind YouTube of seem was. like Bing almost, you know, in like a comparison. <laughs> like What's that? They're, they're kind of like in comparison, calling them Bing, like they're like Google versus Bing, or they right. like YouTube versus Venmo. They, they, yeah, YouTube was actually really easy to deal with. I mean, they, they, they took off all my good clips, but, but they still didn't cancel my channel. Vimeo, Vimeo was um, yeah. just impossible to reason with. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm I'm afraid to branch out to YouTube. I don't, I don't know. I've been just because of just just getting content shutdowns. You know, I don't I don't know. I don't, I don't really see myself making too much money. But I'm thinking about doing like basically two separate channels, like an interlock. That's one that's kind of like a decensored. You know, I don't care. I don't care. And then one that's actually more like I can send out anywhere and not yeah you know have problems. Well, with YouTube, I try to just put the more high concept, like like the interviews I do with scientists and stuff like that. I try to, so I don't, I did put some of the mutilation stuff on YouTube and they, you know, they weren't having any of that. They, <laughs> they didn't see the artistic merit. So, but it seems, it's kind of a double standard. I really like YouTube, but they do like have a bunch of Herman Niche videos and stuff. It's even bloodier than mine. Oh, I'm surprised in some of the stuff you can find on YouTube sometimes. But I think yeah. it's also just because of like they're not searched for that much, so people don't report it, you know. But if right. if all of a sudden you make it popular, then you know, it gets flagged. Yeah, exactly. 
yeah, it's 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 a kind of a guessing game. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think I'm look, but you know, Symbolicus is gonna gonna be an exciting one. I think it'll be really interesting to see. I'll be interested to see what Marcus, which clip of mine he chooses, if any, and it'll be interesting to see. And I'm excited that that my soundtrack hopefully will work out for Vivian's segment. I don't and, have any on that one. So, what's that? I said I don't have any doubt on that one. So, I'll, I'm going to do my level best. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we'll we'll get it across the finish line. But um, but yeah, I'm excited about it. And um, if it's as good as the first one, and and I I'll try to make time to watch the second volume this week if I can. But Marcus is kind of a legend. He's he's definitely a guy who's underground horror. He's he's definitely the the one of the the main guys out there who's still going strong. He's one causing problems. Hi, hi <laughs> I mean, I was, I was kind of waiting for some of his new stuff, and then um, you know having the opportunity of going down there and filming some behind the scene work for Stephen and Chumbucket. You know, I was I had a good time hanging out with him. He was a nice guy. Good dude. Yeah, yeah. He seems like a nice guy. <clears throat> he does. Um, so you and what was the behind the scenes stuff for Steven Byro that you did? Yeah, it was, I did uh, uh behind the scenes stuff um for Chum Bucket. Oh right, okay. Yeah, um Unearthed is definitely the one of the, the ones that got me into interested in extreme horror as a kid. That was my first. I mean, I, I my first unearthed film I bought was uh, Rubber's Lover. Yeah. But see, that, I mean, that's, a, that's the thing like um, with the guy that directed uh, Tetsuo Iron Man. It, it's, you know, if you watch his progression, it, it went from chaotic. I mean, look at A Snake of June. That is literally one of my favorite films. Yeah, uh, that, that's it. that sits in my top ten, and I don't move my top ten around very often. Yeah, but, there's definitely some films that immediately you're like, "Yep, nope, I can move a few around." <laughs> like, yeah. I just come exactly. out like, yeah. But that that one. What, that what one is, is your top five? My top five. Oh. Yeah, yeah. What's your top okay, five? So I would say that number. Don't five, ask me that one. That's hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it can't be that hard. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> uh, number five. Number five would be Begotten. Um, yeah, yeah, that one's great. <clears throat> I, I just, I, I really, truly love that film. With the, the you know, I mean, both of you understand that. Yeah, no, that's such a great film. film. Number four, what I would have to say is probably Eraserhead. Yeah, um, I wouldn't. Yeah, but it's good. I like it. <laughs> I'm, you know, I look at film with artistic endeavor. You know? Oh yeah, that one's a classic. It's ha- you have to give it its dues. Yeah, number number three, I would probably have to say would be Naked Lunch. That's um, good. I'm yeah, a, no, I love that movie. I love William F. Burroughs. He is definitely. <clears throat> and Cronenberg uh, too is an amazing director, so you can't yes, go wrong with that. Absolutely, and then number two. I would. That's a hard one because there's <laughs> there's that number two part was shifting around a bit, but I'd have to say it's a film called Come True. Um, mm-hmm. It's not extreme, but I it's, <laughs> it's something that I I really 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 like. It's made on a limited budget, and number one, 
I mean, Jesus Christ, if you both know me and you see <laughs> you see my post, it's Martyrs. Uh, yeah, Martyrs is good. <clears throat> Martyrs is my number one. Martyrs has been my number one since it's come out. And, you know, we're looking at 2008. So it, I don't see that moving anytime soon. What, what, would, what would your top five films be? Um, I, I thought about it a little bit. Um, Possession, 1981, 100% has to be in there. That's a good film. Uh, opera from Darren Giando is definitely one of those that um, is high up there. Opera for sure. But I'm trying to think of some other ones. Uh, Aftermath. I love Aftermath. Um, yeah. I mean, there's definitely ones. I, it's, it's just like, Heather, it's hard to say. Like, I can pick five in genres, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you like, you like jellos, it sounds like. Yeah, no, I do love, you know, I, I love Italian um, things. Um, yeah. Oh, shoot. I mean, I love, I don't know. There's so many, so many to list. Right. Did you get Peacock's Tale? Huh? Um, so I have to say, I mean, I can list you some definitely some directors. I mean, John Waters, I have to list, but there's like a few on there. There's just like him by himself, especially meeting him and getting to meet him. It just became like this whole like solidifying him as one of my favorite, like one of my favorite of all time directors. Is that John Waters? Yeah. Yeah. John Waters is just a legend. I mean, but I, I can't, it's hard even just to pick a favorite from just his catalog. I had a friend who, um, who was her name was Susan and she um, was a big John Waters fan. And I don't exactly know what happened, but he ended up calling the police on her. What? And, and like when she was trying to meet him at some event, uh, some, he was doing some speaking event here in Montana, I believe. And he ended up calling security to <laughs> have her taken away. Oh, but Holy mountain. I have to list Holy mountain in there. That has to be listed as one of my, Oh, oh okay. Right. Right. All times. That's about five. That was that was. <laughs> so John Waters is a whole <laughs> possession. He's everything out yeah, there. Yeah, we can count that. So, what about uh, you? Um, my top five would be yeah. Uh, five would number one would be Vertigo by Hitchcock and uh-huh. um, Broken Blossoms by D.W. Griffith. Um, Artificial Intelligence by Steven Spielberg. Fine. Lucifer yeah, Rising, yeah. you can all list that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, well, probably uh, my Invocation of My Demon Brother by Kenneth Anger. Yeah, because I have to say, he's one that I, he's high up there, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Can, yeah, definitely Invocation of My Demon Brother would be one of my top ten, at least. And, like, I uh, felt a spiritual bond to that movie when I first time I saw it. I just immediately fell in love. <clears throat> and then he he was an interesting director who kind of went back he had one leg in that world of ambient films like i would say lucifer rising is an ambient film and like uda artifice is an ambient film but then he also can do like invocation of my demon brother which is rapid cuts rapid fire um very like pretty fast paced mm-hmm. so he he's an interesting i mean a director who started in silent in you know, he appeared in Max Reinhardt's Midsummer Night's Dream with with Mickey Rooney and uh, Olivia de Havilland, and he was a child actor and came out of out of uh, the silent film era and came out of 1930s Hollywood, and then went on to you know just be 
making some of the most transgressive films. Really, one of the strangest, and and that he's still alive and still going strong now is is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't say I. It's been a couple of years since I've checked in with him. I don't know if he's making films per se, but the last film I saw of his was unbelievable. The the little short, it was like a six minute segment he did for a a commercial for a, a fashion. Um, a fashion you know a, a, some it wasn't chanel but it was kind of a similar similar to house of chanel but he is unbelievable he's like a force of nature and that he has connections to jean cocteau and and the the old the surrealist groups you know mm-hmm. people who, and, and even uh, connections to uh crowley um he he's really when he dies it's going to be a great loss mm-hmm. and uh so yeah, he's he's up there. He's he's in my could he could be my favorite director. I sometimes think he's my favorite director. Yeah. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is another one that's up there, even though the, a lot of people don't like the director for being misogynist pig. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. But Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is such a fucking movie. <laughs> so crazy. Even the trailer just cracks me up every time I watch it. <clears throat> that's 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 a good choice. Um, I, I'm big into old time, uh, you know, classic films, films made before 19, 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I can't think of my last two. Those, those are the three I can think of right now. Or the, those would be my four choices. But yeah, I, I don't think I can give a complete top five. I would say that some other Hitchcock films would. Be, yeah. Um, Hitchcock's classic. Well, that's why I whole, I whole started this whole you know, even talking about getting into horrors, because there's so many different genres in horror and so much to talk about with it. And there's so many favorites to pick from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's even with someone like Hitchcock, I would actually say that he is, you know, was such an, has such a huge effect on culture. The fact that he was really, I mean, he was a horror director. I mean, I don't know if people are thinking of him as a horror director, but he had such a huge impact on film he he will like echo on forever like Mm -hmm. his films are like there's not there's hardly anyone who hasn't been affected by his oh yeah well it's all psychological horror and uh, those i think are the most effective um of like keeping the audience like enthralled it's like if you get in their head it's like you know that stays there i think me and vivian were talking about that a little bit like like the difference between shock value and like having an effective um like having that psychological component. Having that so huh moment versus like a huh moment, you know, it's like, oh, right. like, oh, it's much more effective what he did. Like, like he said that the, um, the terror of waiting for, you know, the actual, the actual explosion isn't, isn't what actually gets the adrenaline going. It's the anticipation. of Yeah. The it's a suspense. And I yeah. feel like that has been lost um, in horror, especially, and like it's all that shock, you know, that sudden, you know, flash image type thing instead of just building this whole like eerie. Well, it's definitely like lost in my films because my film is the exact opposite of a Hitchcock film. I mean, I do try to incorporate definitely like he, he was the best at fashion, like he had such an eye for fashion and music like he, the, the his films wouldn't be half what they are if he didn't have. Bernard Harriman contributing, you know, that, that musical side of it was at least 50% of the equation. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yep. Good soundtrack but is important. Yeah. But he's, you know, I think that, um, 
you have to have that. You, you can have <clears> as much <throat> blood or guts as you want, and you can have as much gore. Or, I mean, even in modern times, have... getting into Sam Hell, like Broke House, I mean, his a lot of his stuff wouldn't be as like impactful if it wasn't for the grindy electronic, you know. I feel like kind of like kind of adds this tone and he has a good sense of music, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The music is, um, and that's why Vivian's is so interesting. Cause it's really, if, if you, if you do work in that, you know, if you work without, um, dialogue and if you do give space for that, for the music to kind of take things over. Yeah. That, that's definitely makes, can, can make things very interesting. And that was infinite possibilities for sure. And going back to Kenneth Anger too, no dialogue, very, very little dialogue. I can't think of any dialogue. In yeah. And any of his films, really, I can't think of any either. And he paved the way for music videos by taking that approach. Mm -hmm. Especially if you like um, guys in leather and motorcycles, it's like perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that was, that was the 1950s obsession. Oh yeah. hundred percent. He, he was like, so I mean, he made those cars look sexy. So, I mean, all those like shots are amazing. <laughs> That's uh, you're, you must be you're talking about um, Scorpio rising, right? Well, yeah, there's a couple that the, um, there's a one, I forget the one, what it's called. Custom, it's just a shot custom of car. Yeah. Custom car commander. Yeah. It's all like KK. Yeah. 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 KKK. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that one. That's what well, that's I'm something about. interesting to talk about as far as cancel culture because, I mean, I don't know if you know Kenneth Anger's politics, but it, one of these days, it, when people start realizing what his politics are, he's going to be a, you know, in a bit of hot water. But he's not really high profile enough for people to care. No, but. I mean, and the open Satanism is like I don't know. I, I mean, there's a, a couple other things too, but for sure, you have he, to. He once said, he once said that his that his views on black people, when it comes to black people, his views were to the right of the KKK. Oh, really? He said that fairly recently too. Huh? Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't try to dive too much into people's cause I, I, I don't want it to ruin the art sometimes. And like, I understand yeah. that there's personality traits behind art, but if you, sometimes you just need to see the art away from the artist. Um, it's so, it's so weird because you know, Dolly got um, was especially singled out as being a Nazi sympathizer. Mm -hmm. He was kicked out of the Surrealist group. For, it was a different you know, time too. You know, there's a lot yeah. of Nazism in Japanese culture and, and in their cinema and, and all this stuff too. But you know, I, I don't yeah. know. Well, he did the um, he painted that uh, Enigma of Hitler, and so um, Andre Breton kicked him out of the Surrealist group, and. Um, the, the, the strange thing, the really bizarre thing is someone could do an interesting book about the secret right-wing leanings of avant-garde artists because mm -hmm. after Jean Cocteau died, they went back through his diaries and they found like multiple passages where he was praising Hitler. Ingmar Bergman gave some interviews where he was talking about how as a kid he loved Adolf Hitler. Well, you got to look at the time Ingmar frame Bergman, too. He wasn't even German. Yeah. Ingmar, Ingmar Bergen wasn't even German, and he was saying how his family loved Hitler. And of course, later on, he renounced that and was completely <clears> against <throat> Hitler. But there's there's a strange even even like Lynch saying that he he thought Trump might be one of the greatest presidents of all time. 
There's, there's a yeah, strange... I mean, it's just, and there's, like, people that just hold on to ideology, even if they do the worst of things, you know. And I'm sure, because, like, he, he, he gained popularity, you know, referencing Hitler, that because he was portrayed as being a good person until all this bad things in the war happen, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, fuck, 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 like, we don't like you anymore. But, like, but all the things had already been done, but he, he got the approval from the masses, and that's how he gained popularity. It's interesting, yeah. Yeah, that's why it's difficult to go back with a fine-tooth comb, and I don't know, the cancel culture is good in some ways, but, you know, I think it'll be hard because everyone's flawed. Every artist, every artist has skeletons in their closet. Yeah, for sure. And there's, like, people that, you know, look at Charles Manson and his music, and, like, he could have had a potential of being a great artist if he just kept his mind straight. You know, I don't know. Um, there's... Well, he was recorded. It's amazing, in retrospect, that he was hanging out with the Beach Boys and that yeah, they exactly. recorded one of his songs. I mean, it's just... <laughs> That that was one of the great moments in the seventies. No, I wanted to write a whole thing about that. If if um and seeing about it, doing a whole movie if Charles Manson had just been accepted and he actually was able to start a label and so instead of creating all the murders, he actually just became a musician. <laughs> but instead, his his murders started getting committed through his music. <laughs> so yeah. it's like and kind of doing the spin of like if you know if they just accepted him as a musician. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all he. I guess he just wanted to be accepted the whole time. Yeah, that's what it was. I mean, I feel. He just wanted to be accepted as a musician and then got done, got denied and got butthurt and decided to go on a killing spree <laughs> or not, you know, or get people killed. Yeah, that that was that's an interesting era of American history. That's that's as the hippie movement all started going from flower power to like they they all were like burnt out on drugs and then all the serial killers like that's when like the hitchhiking slangs all started and yeah, it's a lifestyle. And there's definitely like, a, you know, certain music, like it, you have to fit the lifestyle with the music and otherwise you don't really understand the music. You know, I feel like yeah. hip hop can be that way. Punk can be that way. The, you know, hippie, you know, whatever music can be that way. Um, it's it's all based on like where you're at, you know, and what you interpret. So why country music doesn't work for certain people because I didn't grow up in the country, you know. <laughs> yeah you can't here in montana you have to like country music or you're it's, it's it's kind of a prerequisite everyone likes country music here so i like old honky tonk my um folk you know blah, blah, yeah stuff. yeah yeah it's an acquired taste for sure but, yeah living in texas i had that for i grew up in like um well i grew up in hawaii but then lived grade school in texas so it was just such a different thing so yeah it was i was submerged in so much of that culture where, where did you used to live in hawaii uh in kaneohe okay i was born in kaneohe and then but in kailua it's like based on oahu so but i was born there and then i went back and i lived in hawaii for like eight years and then left hawaii because it was too damn expensive and then now i'm here but in washington yeah. hawaii's great I no i loved it when i was there I don't, I don't take any of it back i'm glad i did it but yeah, yeah. i couldn't keep it up it's expensive isn't it mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> So those individual private, you know, copies, do you feel you could ever get rid of them? Or do you feel like you just have to hold on to those? I, well, like with um, that last one, Sam did blood tastes like perfume. I wanted to keep, I wanted to order more copies of that, but he sold out really quick over Black Friday. And I didn't even know he was down to that few copies. Mm -hmm. And so now I think I, I think I only have one copy of it. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that, 
which is kind of too bad because I feel like I'll never see it again. It, yeah, like, no, I appreciate you sending me a copy of the um, XXX Dark Web because that really. Oh yeah, it was I out have, of print at the time, and I was really actually looking. I was like, God damn it, I want a copy of that. And so the fact that I have several copies free, of that <laughs> because Tetro did give me like a really, they gave me like a, a steep discount to get a bunch of copies on it, and okay. um, so they did comp me. So I do. If anyone wants any copies, if they're not able to get it through Tetro or Gordrome or wherever. I'll keep um, that in mind on the because the, there are a couple of people on the Discord that are really seeking it. So um, yeah, if I if there's anybody really really dying to, are you trying to sell it at all, or are you just trying to whoever? Uh, well, like, I've been me? kind of offering it as an incentive. If people <laughs> order my films from either Gordrome or Baroque House, they can just send me a proof of purchase, and I'll just send them. Or if they buy an entire catalog, you'll you'll give them that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, what you they, should do. Yeah. Just like buy the entire catalog. I'll give this to you for free. How's that? I'll be these. Yeah, I, I'll do that. I'll do that. There's people that have done that actually, and um, yeah. I would be. I'm happy. Well, if, you, did, you, you did that with me because I bought your entire catalog. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much what you did. Out with of me the too, blue, so you yeah. dark web, and I was like, well, "What the hell is How this?" How much did he and, charge you? I'm curious. I'm just checking. <laughs> uh oh, everyone's comparing notes now. The problem is, I no, it was actually to be honest with you, uh, for his entire catalog because I approached him about it to buy everything up right away. It was really, I thought, was oh, I think it was a good price. I paid like 110. I think, I think it was, was I think it was a good price, but I also think it was undervalued because his films hold a lot of more, you know, as, as extreme as they are, there is an artistic endeavor behind them, right? And, um, I, and I like the, the personal aspect that you have to like, you're getting it from him it, it makes you feel uh, i know we brought up before but the, that french artist um jean uh, louise coates um oh, yeah. that did like i love snuff and all that stuff and the, if you get any of his um dvds they're all very like personal you know right 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 yeah i i just um kind of out of necessity like i'm just um xeroxing everything and uh doing the cheapest discs i can buy from walmart but it's funny they hold; they seem to hold up. I think that's fine, especially with people selling DVDs and whatever. I mean, it's so weird too because you can't sell them on eBay, and so people that are putting out their own shit get fucked because they're like, it's in a DVDR format because they're like, oh, it must be a bootleg. It's like, no, I'm just self-promoting oh, wow. bastards. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know they had that rule. Yeah, well, they used to. I think they they became a lot more lenient because I feel that they've eventually figured that out that a lot of people are just yeah. self-producing their stuff into DVDRs. But yeah, they used to not be able. To to let you to sell out to that and they'd block it and like like that's stupid. Huh. interesting yeah i just kind of do everything as cheaply as possible but yeah i i really appreciate you guys ordering stuff and um it, it's kind of changes you know because i at some of them kind of more or less go out of i take some of them out of circulation and then add different discs kind of changes over time but yeah anyone who orders any of those from baroque house or from from Gordrome or Tetro even. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Tetro, Gordrome, A Broke House. If, if they send me proof of purchase, I can send them a copy of Dark Web. Okay. Because I've got them. But it's the it's the book box edition. So it's actually like a really, probably the best edition. They have a new one that's um, the media book edition. That's probably the best one. But but the book box edition has got a really cool case. It's like a VHS case. So yeah. Yeah, that's, that one from you. Yeah, definitely. And that's... Um, I've got, I've still got a box of them. And so those are up for grabs if anyone's interested. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've, I've sent pictures of like my full catalog of what you've sent me. 
And then people are like, wait, wait, what, 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 what are these? <laughs> like they think they had the whole collection. So apparently you were skipping out on some people, but what I am because, because I have to, <laughs> because I have to take some of the files like off my computer and then, so they kind of go out of print for lack of a better term. Oh, so okay. I, and then I make new ones like that, that new one with where she was uh, hammering the nail through my hand. Um, I've been including that with some of the new orders. Um, oh, okay. So it kind of just rotates around, but, and then it's hard for me to keep track of who's got what, but yeah. Cause but yeah, like, well, based on what image, like, well, that was an old stock, you know, that was an old image. I don't use that image anymore for that video. That's but. true. Also, that's true. I, I would use, sometimes I mix up the covers a little bit just out of necessity, but so it's an imperfect process. <laughs> well, that's hard for you. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, the new one though, I think that people will really like the new one from Gordrome uh, or from Black Mafia, I should say. And um, because that is is more definitive than anything I've been sending out. And it's also, if I know the, the way that those guys operate, it's going to have really cool liner notes and stuff. The artwork's amazing. Like he just sent me a preview of the artwork. That's the, if for no other reason, I'm going to order it just to get the artwork. Yeah, um, no, they, they look nice. I like the whole look of the, the Blu-rays, but. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about it. When I make a film, I start off with a title. And um, because it gives me like a, a pinpoint perspective on where, where I want to go with this. And then I start writing everything out. And with the short that I did, it was it was all like just shotgun, you know, like that guerrilla journalism that, you know, is, it was just right up front. Everything was shot one time and that was the end of it. And then it just went down to editing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's, I think the best way to do things. And then to have the editing be where you can get creative. Yeah. But I prefer to have it be, as far as shooting one and done is my favorite way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, could, I could have easily done the music for it, but, you know, like I explained to Daniel, I want um, Embryo House to become kind of a collective of creative people. I don't want it to just be one percent. Oh, 100%. And I, I hated that as being, like, when I used to do art shows, like, I felt like it was just me kind of doing a lot of creating and, and stuff, and I, I don't want that per se and like obviously you need artists you need things or whatever but this is i feel like a easier medium to get a lot of people backing it up and um helping and you know being involved right and and you know the funny thing is is and some people will see it it's like kind of like an ode to an individual in the underground scene but in the short that you both have seen um there is kind of like a nod to james bell Mm-hmm. If you look at the fetus, <laughs> yeah. I, even, I even talked to him. I was like, hey, can I use the fetus? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. So, nice. and the credits, James Bell is going to get, you know, credit for doing some special effects. Yeah. No, he, he's like indirectly involved. <laughs> oh, that's like so many of his stuff nowadays. Like he's, he's putting music videos, he's putting whatever. He like doesn't even know. He just sells them and then he's like, ah, that's my prop. Look. <laughs> <laughs> I think I get permission to that. I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> I, bought, I bought his entire catalog and then I bought two fetuses. And then yeah. he sends me a finger. And then he throws in a finger. 
Yeah, he does that a lot. He, well, I bought five and then five, so I got two fingers out of him. Yeah, buy it in two parts. Still... Buy five and then buy five, and you get two fingers. <laughs> That's a good deal. <laughs> like the time he was doing a hundred dollars and you get a free dick. That was a nice. That was a nice deal. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, no. <laughs> no, he did. He did the free on the hundred for uh, for Christmas. It was like a Christmas special. Was, uh, spend a hundred dollars, get a free dick. Yeah. Anyways, and I'm still selling my finger too. If anyone's interested. Yeah, some guy was saying twenty dollars, but I was like, nah, you, you, you gotta sell more than twenty dollars. It's gotta be much more than that. Yeah, it's I, be. at least a grand. I mean, it's your finger. <laughs> it's. It, I was thinking more in the ballpark of like. I'm thinking more like 1500 or something. There you go. That's not too bad. Did you sew it up yourself? I, I just bandaged it. It's all there in the film, actually, where she bandages it. And um, and it, it it coagulated pretty quickly. But some people, some people bleed just getting a finger chopped off can be like a very dangerous thing where they have to go to the emergency room. But I was lucky. I just didn't bleed that much. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like you're almost disappointed that you didn't bleed. Like, oh boy, I was like, you know, I skipped that one there. <laughs> I dodged the bullet, but um, yeah, dodged it's. Uh, but but anyways, I'll, I'll I suppose I better let you guys go. I think in about six minutes I gotta. I'm supposed to go pick someone up, but thanks again, Christian and Vivian. Uh, great Thank talking to you guys, as yeah. always. And, and I will talk to you guys in the near future. Yeah, good luck with it, Luis. All, All right. right. All right. Keep up the good work, guys. Bye-bye. Adios.